Welcome to the world of culture pop with Steve Mason and Sue Kalinsky. Culture, comedy, movies, TV, tech, authors, trends, pop, pop. This is the Culture Pop Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue, anything new since the last time we did this show? Absolutely, there is something new. I have um, two new crowns. And a two new, crown, two new episodes of the crown. <laughs> I have two new crowns in my mouth. Oh wow! And and a, and a new uh, little little filling. So I am terrified of going to the dentist. What about you? No, I'm not terrified. But I was actually making fun of the dentist because um, I, I right before he gave me the shot, I could kind of see out of the corner of my eye that he had it behind his back, and then he tried like goes to like sneak it into my mouth, <laughs> and I looked at him and I said. What do you think? I'm five years old. I could see you numb it. I know the needle is coming. He said, I just think that if you don't see it, then you don't get. It's like the old hidden ball trick, the old (laughs) hidden syringe trick. Right. Never works. Never works. So this is an absolutely true story. So when I get my teeth cleaned and thankfully I've got good teeth and haven't had any issues, cavities or anything like that. But when I get my teeth cleaned, my dentist puts me under. So I go on to the nitrous when I get my teeth clean. Now, do you just want to get high? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's a little bit of, of uh, Dennis Hopper in blue velvet. The, <laughs> there's a little bit of that, but no, I just, I'm terrified of somebody digging around in my mouth. Yeah. But if it's numb, you don't feel anything. Once they put the syringe in. No, no, but just a cleaning, just the, like all the oh, scraping the and all that stuff. Oh, the stuff. cleaning. Oh, yeah. You get, you, okay. Yeah, no, I can't deal with the scraping and all that business. So, you know what I realized last night was I have dreams about living and working and doing our show in New York City all the time. All the time. Really? Yes. And uh, this morning, I'll tell you, when I was waking up this morning, I remembered the dream really clearly. So it was one of those mornings in December or January where it snows in New York, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's that blanket of white. Everything is blanketed in white. And my car service came. Oh, car service. That sounds so good now. My car service came and picked me up. And I remember being at the station. And I remember our old boss, Scott Herman, being there. And I remember Mario Cantone being the guest and being completely and totally out of control, which is pretty much what Mario Cantone does. Huh. I wonder if you dreamt about Mario because of um, Willie uh, you know, it might away. it might have been, yeah. Willie uh, Garson passed away, who was a uh, regular on Sex Stanford. in the City. Stanford, yeah, Stanford. That's right, Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was a that was a shocker. Huh? He's so young. I know he's fifty seven. Oh man, man! I played celebrity poker with him one time, or I played poker in a celebrity tournament one time. I didn't play celebrity poker. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like I was on a game show. Hey, everybody, welcome to Celebrity Poker. I'm not a Uh, poker player, but I play one on TV. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I seem like a super nice guy. And you, did you ever work with him directly? I I never met him because uh, I didn't go to any of the filming that was in New York. We wrote everything in Los Angeles. The only person I knew, well, I met the women because there was a premiere party. Um, I don't know. We should say you wrote for Sex and the City. I did the first season. 
Um, but, um, yeah, I never, I never met him, but the only person that I knew really well was, um, Kim Cattrall because I knew Kim way before the series happened. Oh God. Kim Cattrall came into the show. Do you remember that? (laughs) And do you remember all I wanted to talk about was the movie Porky's? Oh, right. Right. (laughs) So that I was so obnoxious on that show. Was I not completely obnoxious and out of control? Sometimes. Well, because you were, you were on and off medication. (laughs) It's true. I was, I was trying everything. It was like uh, prescription roulette, but I remember trying to get her to, uh, in Porky's, there's that scene where she goes up to the coach's office Mm-hmm. And uh, she starts howling because she's getting it on with the coach. And I tried to get her to duplicate the howl <laughs> that she had in Porky's. And I was like, now I think of it, I'm like, that is like the least polite question you could possibly ask. She's probably shudders when she thinks of making the movie Porky's. I know. And it was so embarrassing for me because I was friends with her and like, oh, you got to come on the show. (laughs) And then you completely try to humiliate her. Yeah, I think she had fun in the end. She was a good egg, though. Yeah, she she, she really was. She was a lot of fun. Um, Speaking of good eggs, our guest today is a veteran character actor and filmmaker who has starred in movies like Minority Report and Syriana, The Incredible Hulk, The Fantastic Four, and Academy Award nominees, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, and The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. He's also a filmmaker in his own right. He has uh, written and directed The Gray Zone and Eye of God, and his latest project is a Western, and it is a good one. It is called Oh Henry. It will be in theaters on October the 1st. Tim Blake Nelson is with us. Tim, thanks so much for doing this. My pleasure. So we absolutely loved Old Henry. For me, it's just a callback to all of my favorite Westerns. And, you know, because of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? and uh, Buster Scrubs, I just identify you as perfect for this genre. Did, did Westerns find you or did you find Westerns? I suppose it's a little bit of both. I never imagined I would get to be in Westerns uh, when I was growing up. But when I was, from when I was about 10 to the age of 18, almost every Sunday, uh, I could be found uh, in front of the television back when there were only four channels um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, watching Sergio Leone movies. And they not only taught me about the Western genre, because those were the first Westerns I saw, but that was my first exposure to film as an art form because his movies were so subjective and so stylized and I suddenly realized that a filmmaker could make all these all sorts of editorial uh, choices and choices in lens size and the amount of grain in in, uh, 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 the image and what costumes the characters wore, the way they spoke, the way music was used. It went on and on and on. And I just started thinking about movies in a new way because of Sergio Leone Westerns. Um, then as I started getting work as an actor, I was I grew up in Oklahoma, but I trained in classical theater. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll get to do Shakespeare and Chekhov and life will be great. Uh, and, and George Bernard Shaw. Um, 
But then, um, for reasons I still don't quite understand, I started getting jobs in movies playing Southern characters, and then that led to Westerns. So, so being an executive producer on this film, how, how much creative are you involved or were you involved in it? That's always a tricky question to, to answer um, because it's different with each movie. And I, but, I, but I'll tell you, I don't come on as a producer unless I'm asked. Uh, the, 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 the habit of actors leveraging whatever status they have to get credits they don't deserve is repugnant to me. Hmm. And so if I'm asked to be a producer, I say two, I have two responses. One, yes, but I'm going to do the work of a producer. So if you really want me to help, I will be there to help and in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to contribute. Uh, and two, I'll only do it if the director has the last word. Because I think that the best films are made when the director has final cut in all respects. And sometimes they say, well, we're not interested in giving the director that amount of power. And then I say, then don't have me produce. I'll just act. And you, you, you produce. Um, in this case, that was the sort of situation. Patsy Ponzeroli had the last word in every respect. Um, but I got to contribute a lot. I helped him with the script and I helped him cast it. And um, I consulted on the edit and, and um, the, all the way to the sound mix. But always with Patsy having the last word. Hmm. So I, I look at myself as a kind of consigliore. Um, and I think that's what the best producers are. What, what you're doing is enabling the vision of the director and the director is the leader. So to start the movie, it starts in Oklahoma, 1905. And Henry seems like a guy who's kind of in his own habitat, right? He's in his own, he's sort of isolated. He's got this, this place in Oklahoma, this farm in Oklahoma. And there comes that moment where, he comes across this bag of money and the first reaction is nope. And then he goes back to the money. Why do you think Henry goes back to the money? Compassion. I, I, I think that early on in his life, he struggled with compassion and without giving anything away, right. because there's a, a historical element to who he is. That's actually true. Um, and I, 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 I think that often bad stuff happens as a result of our best impulses. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Even if the bad stuff is dragged out of us. And so one's act of compassion can lead to exposure of one's moral frailties. And I think that's really interesting and quintessentially human and, and a very interesting twist in this movie. 
Yeah, I mean, something that really takes you, draws you in or, or drew me in early on in the film, the narration where your character says it could be hard to tell who and what a man is if he's got a mind to tell you otherwise. And I thought, what a great piece of dialogue, because it just sets up exactly what is you're about to see. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It was a great um, monologue to be able to to deliver. In, um, and I think that voiceover juxtaposed with the land is a great piece of filmmaking by Ponzi. With so, juxtaposed with images of the land. Yeah. So you have worked uh, multiple times with two of my favorite filmmakers of all time, Joel and Ethan Cohn. Um, love their version, by the way, of True Grit, which I think is a great modern Western. Uh, all their Fargo is one of my favorite movies of all time. On and on. What's it? What's it like on a Cone Brothers set? How do those guys work together? Uh, they're it, it's almost like uh, they're um, uh, the same person. They're so fantastically in sync. And if you're speaking with one, you're speaking of the other, even when they, even in those rare instances in which they contradict one another. As an example, on Buster Scruggs, I think Joel, I don't even remember what it was, that Joel came up and gave me a piece of direction that contravened something or contradicted something that Ethan had said. And I, I said, well, Ethan thought that maybe this was true. And Joel said, oh, okay. Yeah, then do it that way. And there was no, um, there was no uh, friction whatsoever in it. So it they've was, got kind of a singular vision. They really, really do. And a, and, and a desire to defer to one another that is devoid of ego. Um, and, 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 and that's fantastic. And I, I, I love the two of them. They're two of my closest friends and, uh, you know, my relationship with each is quite specific, uh, because they are rather different from one another, but on set, they're the same person. Yeah. I could only imagine how horrific it would be as an actor or even a crew member to work with two different people who have two completely different ideas and you're being, you know, pulled in so many different directions of do it this way. Don't know, do it that don't listen to him. I've worked on, I've worked on shows where the, the showrunner, I got notes from the network saying, don't take his notes. And I said, well, how do I not take his notes? I got to show him a cut of something. And if I don't address his notes and he sees the cut, he's going to ask me why. And you're telling me not to tell them that you told us. So it's like, whoa, it's like craziness. Well, and the results are never good. And that, in, in, you know, um, I've had two actors who are really good actors, um, but each known for being difficult say to me, well, I don't want to get on a set and everybody gets along. That's not what it's about. Hmm. You, through fighting, you get a better result. And I, I'm, I think that's sometimes true, but more often than not, it's, it's actually false. I don't think it's true. Um, 
it wastes time. And usually when you have opposing points of view and very little time to resolve the issue, you get neither. Hmm. Right. I, I just have to tell you, as far as uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, um, that film had a life-changing effect on my life because I went to see the Down From the Mountain tour, which was at the Hollywood Bowl, and that was in 2002. And um, a mutual friend of the, the the guy that I ended up marrying, he got tickets for us independently in the hopes that the two of us would be together, would, would try to initiate some sort of relationship. I know him since I'm 13 years old and never ever had that thought in my head. And we got, we went to the, I went to the concert. He ended up sitting next to me and I looked at him that night differently than I had ever, ever looked at him. And two years later, we got married. That's fantastic. Congratulations. <laughs> I wish I'd been singing on that um, show. I didn't do that show. Yeah, I see two yeah. guitars behind you. Uh, you were actually on the soundtrack for Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? How, how much time, where does music fit into your life? Uh, I play the guitar in the most rudimentary fashion you can imagine. I learned, um, for not for Oh Brother, I sing on the Oh Brother soundtrack and did the show at the Greek Amphitheater, but not at, um, not at the Greek but not in Hollywood Bowl out in L.A. So I did some of those states. Um, but I played guitar in Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and so I had to learn uh, for that. And, and my son, Henry, taught me, my oldest son, and I've kept it up since. But I don't, I just practice, I just play uh, the guitar when I'm by myself. Uh, it's, it's been great to learn an instrument in my 50s. So we've been asking our guests a couple of questions at the uh, at the end of the conversation that, that uh, I want to throw at you. Uh, first one is just totally whatever. What are you watching right now? Oh, I watched. Um, I'm, I'm watching uh, the Michael Mann film. Uh, I've watched about half of it. Uh, um, Thief. Oh, it's great. 1981 with James Kahn and Tuesday Weld and uh, Robert Prosky. Um, yeah, and it's fantastic. And it's funny, I just watched Eyes of Laura Mars. Oh, I love mm, that movie. Great film. And, um, and I also love that movie, but the, it's great to see from, I think they were made three years apart. And Eyes of Laura Mars, I believe, 78. But the discipline of Michael Mann, yeah, in, in, in juxtaposed with with Laura Mars, it's a really interesting movie and a provocative movie. This, you know, a lot of interesting stuff to say. It's a great film school movie uh, because it's about a photographer, and so there's the frame and the frame, the fetishizing and violence and and all that. Um, but the rigor and discipline of Michael Mann as a filmmaker really shows through in a great way. And it's quite thrilling to watch. You know, Amy Brenneman told, uh, told me once that she, when she was doing heat, she was supposed to have not a lot of makeup on. She was supposed to look, you know, plain in a particular scene uh, with De Niro. And 
she decided, uh, this was what Michael Mann wanted. She decided, okay, well, I'm, but I'm going to wear some makeup. I'm going to, you know, make myself look pretty. Um, and the moment Michael Mann walked onto the set, he said, nope, 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 nope. I want you to look plain right here. He's that far down into the details, which I think is absolutely fascinating. The other question we've been asking is, uh, what have you learned about yourself during the pandemic? I'm going to quote Ethan Cullen on that because I completely agree with him. It has only confirmed the way I like to live my life. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've stayed inside and written and read a lot. And I've gotten to go make movies uh, observing COVID protocols. So my professional life hasn't changed in the least. I, you know, I, it's, uh, I, I've been blessed in being able to work consistently through COVID, including making this movie Old Henry. Well, uh, Old Henry is just a an immediate classic Western. It is so good. You are so good. And it's like it was created for you. Uh, in, in a way, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a showpiece, I think, for all the things that you have brought to film over the years. And we'll let people know it's out in theaters on October the 1st. Thank you very much, Tim. We appreciate your time a lot. It was my pleasure to talk with you. And I love Westerns. And thanks to uh, Tim Blake Nelson there. I, you know, for me, and there have been some good modern ones, like I love The Revenant which was mm -hmm. a great Western. The Cone brothers, I mentioned, their version of True Grit, fantastic uh, Western. Westerns, I, I don't know, capture something very, very American, something about what it was like to be on the American frontier when, when there really wasn't the America that we know. There's something very, I guess, kind of cozy and homey about Westerns. And poetic, know? I think, too. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's uh, living off the land, you know. I like uh, how you immediately adopted a Southern accent. Living <laughs> off the land. <laughs> and just having to be so resourceful. And, you know, I always make jokes when I, when I see Westerns and it's like, oh, God, if I ever had to, you know, you know, hunt for food or live, you know. in, in Although in, you're a camper, you guys go camping. Yeah, but we go camping, but you know, we're, we have, we're in a trailer, <laughs> you know what I mean? So we have, we have, you know, kitchen equipment and, you know, we, uh, we bring food, um, we'll cook stuff, but yeah. we don't have to go out and get, we don't have to kill the food. Do you have vittles? Do you eat vittles? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, uh, we I got, whittle. we got I, I our vittles. I've whittled on <laughs> yeah, camping trips. Yeah. <laughs> I like when they call them vittles. Uh, so I wanted to throw one last thing in here before we get to our friend Jacob Bermani. So yesterday was National Elephant Day, and the elephant is a very significant animal to me. I love elephants, and partly it's because uh, the Hindu god Ganesh is the remover of obstacles. And a lot of times on movie sets, they'll have a Ganesh somewhere, like not in camera, but out of frame because... The idea is he removes the obstacles that it would take to uh, to make a production of some kind. Um, I even have a Ganesh tattoo. You can probably, you've seen it, right? I've seen it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Ganesh tattoo on my chest, right over my heart. And I was reminded yesterday, 
I got to go to an elephant preserve in Thailand and got to feed elephants and be around elephants. There's something about the way they, first of all, there's like this, this intelligence about them, this emotional intelligence and just the sweetest thing. They're so family oriented too. Like I literally saw the thing you see in cartoons where the baby elephant holds on to the mother elephant's tail as they walk through the reserve. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. It's such a great experience. Uh, I was at a place called Chiang Mai in, uh, in Thailand. And the one thing I'll say, if, if you go to Southeast Asia, there are opportunities to ride an elephant. Don't ever ride an elephant. It is an inhumane thing to do. Did you realize that? No. Um, is it... Well, I guess it's not the same thing as riding a camel because camels are a mode of transportation. For Correct. Them. Camels, horses, all that right, kind of, but right, never right, right. ride an elephant. It's not, and they offer it all over the place. Ride this elephant. Don't ride the elephants. Don't now, ride the elephants. And is that something where the, the elephant really doesn't like that? Yeah. The elephant doesn't dig somebody riding around on their back. That's just right. not their, not right. their jam. Right. <laughs> it's not the elephant's jam. <laughs> But I do love elephants. I've got them all. If you've ever been to my house, and some of you guys listen and probably have, there are elephants everywhere. Uh, there's uh, dancing ganache. There's a little uh, elephant uh, trinket all over the entire house. I'm just a big elephant guy. Do you have an animal like that? Uh, a monkey. I like monkeys. Do you? And don't ever ride a monkey. Don't, no, don't ever ride a monkey. <laughs> no, but every time I hear you say ganache, it sounds like a Jewish pastry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have the ganache. I'll have some ganache. Over, over at Cantor's. <laughs> Cantor's is closed. It is? Yeah. Cantor's yeah. Deli, the world famous Cantor's Deli, closed during the pandemic. Oh, that is so sad. Yeah. I mean, that's a legendary place. And so did uh, Nate Mouse. Yeah. I heard about that too. Delis did not do well during this pandemic. And there's such a, there are so few really great ones in LA. It's not like New York where there's, you know, great deli all the, all over the place, but there are just a few great deli spots in LA and we lost a couple of them there. Oh, that's so sad because I would always have to venture out to go to those places because there's no, no delis that are worth anything in Long Beach. Really bad bagels in Long Beach. <laughs> just, just terrible. I went, I went to a deli in Long Beach and I asked them if they had smoked whitefish salad. And, um, they, they looked at me like I had, you know, four eyes. <laughs> and I'm like, how could you call yourself a deli and not know that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they're de- definitely like non Jewish delis. Yeah, you know? right, right. Gentile delis, you know, they just, they don't know how to do yeah, it. Yeah. There's something comforting about a deli. It's very, it's very, um, Homey, I think is the right word. Homey. Right. Yes. Um, all right. So uh, our buddy Jacob Mamrani is the guy that you need if you are involved in any kind of accident. And this, by the way, might be you. It might be your wife. It might be your kid, whoever that happens to be. You want somebody who's been doing this for 24 years in Los Angeles. And by the way, Palm Springs, I know we have a lot of listeners out in Palm Springs. Same thing. You know, he's the biggest and the best. That's why you see the billboards all over the place. That's why you see him all over TV. That's why you hear about him when I'm doing uh, spots on 710 ESPN and why, you know, he's sponsoring the Culture Pop podcast, all that stuff. Um, he is uh, he's the guy you want. And 
you know, you want somebody who has experience. You want somebody that the insurance companies actually fear. You want to be taken seriously. And you will be if you have Jacob and Ronnie. So remember, any kind of accident, any kind of injury, do not forget the catchy, first of all, the number 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. 844-24-JACOB. Or here's the catchy jingle, accident or injury. Call Jacob and Ronnie. Call Call Jacob. Jacob. I think that's as close as we've gotten. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, we were doing at tempo, at tempo, chop, chop, at tempo, bam, 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 bam. You're like a, you're a music teacher. I am a music teacher. <laughs> By the you're way, not you a very good, you're not a very good music teacher because it has taken us 140 something <laughs> episodes <laughs> to, get to get this right. right. By the way, have you seen the movie Cody? Yes, I did. Uh, I always, I love that musical teacher in Coda. Yeah, he was played great. by Eugenio Derbez. We tried to get him on the show. He's apparently a very famous stand-up comic in Mexico, but I love that movie. Still the best movie I've seen this year. The other movie that I saw that's fantastic. Did I tell you about the card counter? Yes. Did I do it on the show? No, I think you told me you were going to see it. Yeah, the card counter is Oscar Isaac. It is a Paul Schrader uh, production written and directed by Paul Schrader, Tiffany Haddish in a charming but serious role. And Oscar Isaac should absolutely, first of all, he's become one of the steadiest uh, actors that we have. He's he's in virtually everything, but he is so good in the card counter. It is bleak. It is a really dark movie. It reminds me a lot of, you know, Schrader wrote Taxi Driver. It's that sort of that sort of vibe to it. But such hmm. a good movie if you get a chance to watch it. It's in hmm. theaters now, but I'm sure it will stream on one of our many streaming services very soon. But uh, The Card Counter, one of my, probably my second favorite movie of the year after Coda. Cool. Yeah. Now, I, I haven't gone to a uh, theater yet to see a movie. I go twice a weekend. Okay. I'm back. You're back. I'm back. Are you masked when you're there? I am. I'm masked. Except oh, okay. when I'm eating my popcorn. Yeah, you got to wear a mask. I'd like um, to go see the movie Zorro and see everybody in the audience masked. Oh, there you go. There's an idea. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. There is our Culture Pop podcast for today. If you are listening right now, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Uh, whether you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, uh, leave us a rating, leave us a review. That means a lot to us. Sue, we will see you next time. All righty, Steve. And we'll see everybody next time on the Culture Pop podcast.